We've been in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 28, or 26 to 28 for the last three weeks, and we're still there today. You never knew there was so much in that section of Scripture, right? Who am I? We're in this series on biblical human identity, and uh, we're going to continue in that today with the theme of we are created for community. And as we get into that, let's just turn our hearts to prayer. I'm going to continue to pray for uh, Abe Martins, who's still in hospital and trail, right? Nope. He's in Grand Forks, been transferred to Grand Forks. Excellent. Great. Um, May long weekend as well, there will be a memorial service for Bill Fair, who passed away back in October. If you remember that, it's going to be on Saturday the 18th. And so um, uh, met with the family to start planning that. Uh, this uh, just yesterday, and so uh, that's coming up as well. So uh, let's continue to pray for for uh, Laura and her family as well as they navigate this time together. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your uh, word. Thank you for the fact that you have created us to be your treasured possession, a people for your praise. <clears throat> and Lord, as we consider that this morning and as we gather around the table. I just pray that you, would, um, that you would speak to us in this time and in this place. And we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be uh, working in Abe's body. Thank you that they could track down um, something in his stomach that they could address, and, and hopefully that would con- uh, uh, help the other uh, health issues that, that uh, crept up this past two weeks. Lord, we pray too for Laura Fair and for her family as they uh, prepare to have this memorial service with different family and just some of the challenges of blended family too that they have and as they come together, uh, Lord, we pray that your spirit would uh, just uh, uh, work in that time. Thank you so much for Bill and Laura for the life uh, they've had together and the uh, many opportunities for ministry you gave them over the years. And so we, uh, we mourn Bill's passing still today, even though this was months ago. And uh, Lord, we pray that as we prepare for a, a service that you will guide the way in that. Lord, we want to continue to pray also for Maxim and Anya Oliverovsky uh, in Zaporizhia, Ukraine. And uh, Lord, it's been two years since I had that uh, chance to interview him just before the invasion happened. And Lord, it's been a, a tough couple of years for them. Thank you that you have them there to minister uh, hope and healing uh, through the New Hope Center. And yet, Lord, they are weary. They are so tired. And we ask that you would give them supernatural strength in the midst of this time of struggle and to continue to point people to Jesus. Uh, thank you. And we ask, uh, we ask again uh, for, for a quick end to all of this uh, trouble and strife. Uh, Lord, our world is ripped apart with conflict. And we ask that you would uh, be the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, everlasting Father, who would come and make all things new and make wars to cease. Uh, your word looks forward to that day. And so, Lord, help us to uh, borrow from the future to give us hope in the present. As we come to your word now and as we consider that we are created for community, would you lead us and guide us and speak to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. So, who am I? The question of 
who we are, and the question of defining our own identity is really quite a, a, a big and important issue. Uh, Emile Bruner uh, stated this once, and I think this is, this is important. The most powerful of all spiritual forces is man's view of himself. In the way in which he understands his nature and his identity, indeed it is the one force which determines all the others which influence human life. How we define ourselves and where we find our identity, where we find our value, where we find our worth is so, so powerful because from that, how we then interact with the world around us, how we interact with one another uh, has its foundation in this. And that's why we need to take a good hard look at this doctrine of humanity, for lack of a better term, that we've been looking at the last number of weeks and we're going to continue into February and March on this. And this month, in January, we've been setting some very important theological foundations found in Genesis chapter 1. And so I just want to review those quickly for us this morning. First of all, that we are created in his image. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in that first week, we talked about how much value this places on each and every human life. That God has created humanity to image him, to bear his likeness. And, and, and in this instance as well, and we'll talk about this a little more today, we have God stepping back from saying, let the earth bring forth, or let there be, as kind of an impersonal declaration to let us create. It's a marked difference when you read through Genesis 1, when you hit this, let us create. Because everything else has been saying, well, let it just happen, let it just happen, let it just happen. And then God here is saying, I'm going to take, this is going to be my personal hands-on act of creation. This is our value. Then last week, we looked at the fact that God created us to be rulers and priests. Then God said, and then all of this creation language, and let them have dominion over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, to subdue it and to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And we said our value and our identity comes, one, from our value as God's special creation, and secondly, in the vocation for which God created us. That we have a God-given vocation on this planet. And it's in relation to all of creation. Carmen Joy Imes in her book on being God's image said, to be human is to participate in creation care on God's behalf. Our task is to care for the earth the way the creator would. And so we have value because we are created in God's image and we have a vocation because he gave us our job description right at the beginning. But today, we are going to look again at the first bit of Genesis 1, 26 to 27. And today we're gonna to talk about the fact that God created us as a village. So we got value, we have a vocation, and we got a village. So three V words, if you like that kind of alliteration thing, they tell us we're supposed to do that, helps you remember stuff. 
whatever. We're created for community. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the likeness of image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So the first section of this is the plural that God uses. Let us create man in our image. And, and what one commentator says, this has been an interpretive challenge for Jewish and Christian commentators for generations and generations. What's the us? Who is the we in this situation? What would the original readers of Genesis understand when they read this? Because they didn't have the benefit of the New Testament. <laughs> they didn't have the benefit of a Trinitarian theology yet. You know, we can read that back into it, but that's not what the original readers might have read. And so what, what would they have understood? And this comes up a number of places. Let us, you know, uh, let us go down and see this great tower that people are building. It's one of my favorite stories, actually, in the Old Testament is the Tower of Babel because it's funny, right? God's, the humans are like, we're going to build a tower and we're going to reach heaven. And God's like, well, let's go down and see what they're doing because I just can't quite make it out from up here. <clears throat> you know, there's kind of some tongue-in-cheek in the Bible sometimes. It's like, yeah, humanity's going to take over heaven and God's like, I can't even see it. Let's go down and see what they're up to. <clears throat> I think this is really God's self-deliberation within himself. And we see the plurality of this throughout Scripture, and we see this plurality especially played out in the New Testament. In John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there was nothing that has been made that has been made that the Word did not participate in, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have the advantage of all of Scripture before us now to say that this plural is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in conversation, eternal conversation, where they are, going to, they are going to create humanity. And it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be out of community, from community, that humanity is birthed. So God created man in his own image. So some, some people say, well, you know, throughout Scripture, too, we kind of have this potential view of, of God and his cosmic court making, you know, and he's making a proclamation. Well, the, the next verse in 27 kind of gets rid of that because he's not talking to the angels saying, let us make, you know, as, as we are divine beings or as we are um, something around that because the next verse kind of gets rid of that with the singular, so God created man in his own image not in their own image, his own image. And this actually stands in stark contrast to ancient Near Eastern uh, creation mythology where God's uh, multipl multiplicity of gods were involved in creation and humanity was created to serve the needs of the gods because they didn't know how to farm, so they created a farmer so that they could have stuff to eat and so they'd make sacrifices. And then eventually, humanity got so busy and noisy and loud that God, the gods were like, oh, we can't sleep anymore, let's wipe them out, and they sent a great flood. And, and then the flood got out of control and they couldn't handle it, so they stopped the flood and one guy in a, a box-shaped boat called Gilgamesh managed to survive and, and Thank goodness, because they would starve to death as gods if there wasn't any sacrifices. 
Um, but here we have God created humanity not to serve him, but to serve the creation and to live in relationship with him. We are created from community for community. And so these are the three things that we've covered so far, and, and we're going to unpack this community piece just a little bit more today. First, that human identity begins in the mind and the heart and the will and the action of God to create us in his image. That is our value. Secondly, that human identity is found in our vocation, the reason for which we were created, to serve creation as God's co-rulers. And then what we're talking about today, human identity is realized in community with God, who is community himself. So, God himself is community. We are first of all created from community. God himself is eternal, and his glory has been eternal, and the community of God has been eternal, and we can't wrap our minds around this. God is a relational being in and of himself, and there is no lack, there is nothing that can be added to him. From all eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in perfect community. And this is the foundation for let us make man in our image and our likeness and male and female. He created them and he created us for community. It's not good that a man should be alone. We look at that in Genesis chapter 2. And so the woman is created to complement as his helper to be with him as an equal partner. As in Genesis 1, male and female, he created them and gave them authority and dominion over all things. But at the beginning of all of this, we have to settle our minds on this, this deep reality that God himself is community in and of himself. All the theological questions about our identity come back to a foundation of this, God's character and his identity. God's character and identity are foundational for everything. That's why Article 1 in our confession of faith is so important. It's about who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that he has communicated this clearly to us. And that was Article 2 of our confession of faith that we read through last week. That he has spoken, and he has spoken through his word. So God himself is community. This is foundational for our understanding of who we are as human beings, that we weren't created to be individuals doing life in isolation from everybody else. We have to walk as community. We were created for community. The second thing that I would observe in, in, as we talk about the, the, the reality of, of community is that God always works with people with humanity via covenants. Covenant is always a community concept. It's never individualistic. God never makes just a deal with one person to the exclusion of all others. Every covenant in scripture encompasses a global view of humanity. Whether it's the covenant that was initiated with Abraham who calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, leave your fam family, your, 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 the, the place where you're living, and go to the land I'll show you, and I will make you a great nation, 
and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. See, even, even when in the call of Abraham, an individual, God's view was global. That in and through God's chosen person, all of creation would be reached. Every tribe, tongue, and nation would come to understand who God is through the covenant he made with Abraham. It's not even with just the nation. Israel is in the Mosaic covenant because even in that, there is, there is a vision for a mission to the nations. And we get this, even Isaiah explodes this in his prophecies. The outlook of God's work with his people all through scripture has a global, multi-ethnic reach. Genesis 9.9, the covenant is with you and your offspring after you. Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the covenant promises a great nation to bless all the nations. Exodus 4, 2, Israel is my firstborn son, but through him he will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And, and, and Peter picks this up in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10, where he calls the church these same things that God says to his covenant people in Exodus 19. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that you would be a witness. And this is the great commission. Called to be discipling all nations. Acts 1.8, and y'all will be my witnesses. You is plural. <laughs> y'all, everybody those who are called, and this beautiful picture that we get in Revelation 7-9, that in the end, before the throne of God, every tribe, tongue, and nation, people, and language will gather around the throne and they will bow in worship and wonder in all of their cultural diversity and color and language and music and song. You know, and that... That might be hard for some of us because, you know, you listen to, you listen to some, you know, and, and they don't have a 12, you know, tempered clavier chromatic system. They got a different musical system than us. They have a different idea of rhythm and a different idea of harmony, but imagine what that'll be like when it's not just, you know, kind of compartmentalized, subdivided, equally divided, uh, very Western musical theory. <laughs> but global music to the praise and the glory of God. I think of Psalm 150. I read this last night as I'm reading through a number of passages at bedtime to, to, to Corbin. And one of them was Psalm 50. And it's like, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Make it loud. Make it resound. Be, may there be dancing. May there be joy. Let, like the praise of the Lord isn't to be quiet and tame. It's to be unbridled, emotional, loud, jubilant. jubilant. And I long for the day when Revelation 7-9 comes true, when every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather before the throne in all of its diversity. The covenant is with the community for the global impact of all of humanity, that we would all come to know Jesus Christ as Lord 
and Savior. So God himself is community, and we are created for community from community. And the covenant nature of how God interacts with us is always a community concept. Because the third thing we need to know is that the gospel of Jesus Christ means that God is redeeming a people for himself. The gospel both initiates and completes our restoration to community with him, and that is expressed in a community called the church. Christopher Wright in his book, The Mission of God's People, says the Bible is passionately concerned about what kind of people they are who claim to be the people of God. If our mission is to share good news, we need to be good news people. If we preach gospel transformation, we need to show some evidence of what transformation looks like. The gospel is that God is redeeming people to himself and restoring them to community. I'm going to read a number of passages here, and I want you to note the singularity, the singular nouns in these passages. First, Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Paul is in this context specifically speaking of the Jew and Gentile divide. And he's saying that's gone. In Christ and because of his cross and because this is a global humanitarian gospel, there is one people of God. There is one body. There is one new man in place of the two. This is the community God calls us to from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 1 Peter 2, 4-5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are one. There is only one body of Christ. There is only one spiritual house. There is only one holy priesthood in God's economy through Jesus Christ. We are called to community because we are created for community. And then Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, plural, Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your plural bodies as a living sacrifice. I haven't caught this before. A group of us are going through a study right now on um, church conflict and resolution, and, and, and this is an interesting observation, that it takes the community to be a living sacrifice, that we can't do this individualistically that we have sometimes read this far too individualistically. That if I do this by myself, if I offer my body as a living sacrifice, that is holy and sexual, then I get to know what God's will is, his perfect 
pleasing will. On to verse 2. But think about this in the community context. Because Paul's addressing the church. He's not addressing, addressing individuals. In fact, every one of Paul's letters is a community letter. Even the Timothy and Titus ones. Maybe the only one that's really individualistic is Philemon. But in that case, he's saying, you have a slave and you've got to treat him like a brother now. Get rid of the dividing wall of hostility between you guys. <laughs> Be a community. It's all about community. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourselves collectively as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your community in worship. Again, Western individualism has perhaps undermined the power and the creation intention of God that we live in community with one another. So as we wrap this up, just a quick summary. Human identity is defined by creation. That speaks to our value. Second, human identity is expressed in our vocation, what God created us to do and how to relate to creation and one another. And then human identity is realized in community, in the village in which God builds. Now, have you ever wondered why community in the church is so difficult? Like, you, you would think as people of God under Jesus Christ, this would be the easiest place to navigate issues of community, but it's often the hardest place in the world to deal with conflict and tensions and divisions. Community is insanely difficult in the church. Why? Even though we're created for community, we really struggle with this. I've been thinking about this for weeks. I came to the conclusion that Community is insanely difficult in the church because it is the primary target of the enemy. Because community is central to our mission and our witness. John 13. See, three passages in John. John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By all this, people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. See, our witness and our mission depends on this. And then in chapter 15, verses 12 to 17, Jesus repeats himself, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Our mission and our witness depend on our community. And Jesus even prayed this in his great high priestly prayer 
for us specifically. Chapter 17 of John, verse 20 to 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you've sent me. You see, the purpose of unity, the purpose of community in this passage, in this prayer of Jesus for the church that will be to come down through history is the witness of sentness of Jesus Christ, that he has come from God. The glory you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, in them, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that, again, repeated, the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. And this is why community is insanely difficult in the church. Because it is central to our mission, and therefore it is the primary target of our enemy. And so we need to be on our guard. And we need to be aware that this is why community is so difficult. Three conclusions I have for us today. And the third one is kind of, we won't get into it. We'll deal with that later. Firstly, we are created from community for community. Our identity finds meaning in community. Therefore, the quest for autonomy and in our identity formation will always fail. Can you read that? Yeah, it's not too bad. Created for community, from community, the community of God for community, our identity finds meaning in community, therefore the quest for autonomy and identity formation will always fail. If it's always up to what I feel in myself about who I am, then I have become the definer of my identity and not God. And I have become the definer of my identity, not the community in which God has placed me. And, and this is a huge issue right now, right? Because it's all about me and my identity. And our culture is all down to the individual rights and freedoms of I define who I am and what I am and all of that stuff. But that's viewing myself apart from the fact that God is a community who created me for community with him and with the people around me. The quest for autonomy and individualism will fail you and lead you down a road of depression and anxiety and lostness because it's not how you were created to exist. Secondly, community is always the context of our wounding, given and received. Therefore, community must be the context of our healing. Community is inconvenient and messy. Community is always the context of our wounding. There's no getting around this. 
The easiest thing to do is run and hide and be an individual living in a cabin alone in the woods somewhere because then nobody can hurt you. But you'll go crazy. Right? Everybody thought, you know, oh, remember all those posts where it's like, you know, there's this picture of this idyllic cabin in the woods and it's like, oh, let me go there and get away from everything in society. That would be great. Well, COVID showed that we really don't want that. Right? Because when we were given the, when we were given the mandate to stay home, we went nuts. <clears throat> we lost it. We can't live like that. The early days of the founding, like, like when, when, uh, when uh, Europeans were settling in the prairies, uh, farmers would build their houses right in the middle of their, of their farmland, and it was like miles from the next house, right? And then the next farmer would do the same thing. And, and the guys were kind of okay, because they went to work, <clears throat> and they maybe saw some other people, but the women started having mental health issues because they were so isolated from everybody else. So what they ended up doing is they ended up picking up their houses and instead of having them in the middle of their land, far apart, they moved them into the corners. Because they need, we need community. We go crazy if we isolate ourselves. Because we're not designed for it. God designed us for community. And that's why it's so hard to navigate community too. And it's only in community that we get hurt. <clears throat> and therefore, it's always in community that we must be healed. James talks about this. As often we like to deal with things on our own in isolation. But James says you will never, ever heal that way. He says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If we cannot confess our sins to another human being, we will be stuck. It's not just a relationship between me and God. It's between me and the community of God. God always calls us to community. We are adopted into his family through the act of justification by Jesus Christ. So when we come to Christ, he adopts us into his family, Ephesians chapter one. And then in his family, he disciplines us as a family for his glory and for his purposes. That's sanctification. And both require and, re and result in community. Community is always the context of our wounding, both giving and receiving wounds, and therefore community must be the context of our healing. Community is inconvenient and it's messy, but we so need it. And again, the last one, I think we'll touch on this another day, but community is always an embodied experience and expression of God's image bearers. Therefore, virtual reality, social media, will continue to lead to isolation and division along with depression, anxiety, and other mental and emotional and relational health problems. Because we're actually living in isolation when we think we found community and we don't have it. I think that has implications for the ideas around virtual church. We're just not gonna find the community 
that we're longing for. You can go online today and you can find way better preachers than me. Honestly. Really? Like the... Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm not fishing here, okay? <laughs> I am not fishing for compliments. So you could find all sorts of people who can speak and, and, and do well and exegete scripture way better, but they don't know you and they don't know Grand Forks and they don't know Gospel Chapel. You can find all sorts of stuff out there and it's great information, but is it hitting you where you live? And sometimes it does. But this is why community, and this is why community groups are so important. Like, it's gonna be, I remember, I just read something this week, and I need to listen to the podcast. It was with John Mark Comer and, and on the Kerry Newhoff podcast. And he basically says, I believe the future of the church is much smaller and around tables where real discipleship can happen. Amen. Where I get to know you, you get to know me, and we get to share one another's lives. The pains and the challenges and the struggles and the questions. We can't do that all sitting in rows like this. Because I can't get to know you really here at all. You get to know me, kinda, but this could be a great show that I'm putting on too. Lots of pastors do it. And have a horrible day on Saturday and then get up here and be all smiles and preach on Sunday and, and go home and have a disaster. <laughs> this is why we need community. Because it's the only place we, can, we need to be ourselves. And that's why communion is so important today. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because it's in 1 Corinthians 11 that we have Paul's instruction for the Lord's table. There's a part of this that we tend to overlook when we, when we come to this point. Or when we come to this passage. We love to pick it up with, I passed, I'm passing on to you what the Lord gave me first. We love to start at verse 23. Where I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. But if you look at the context, he's dealing with something a little interesting here and very difficult. He actually starts his instructions about the Lord's table in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because you come together. When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Here's a shocking statement. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, one goes ahead with his own meal, another goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. The Corinthians had a bit, bit of a messy church. 
right? I mean, that's, that's kind of an understatement. There was all sorts of mess going on. There was all sorts of divisions. There was factions. There was, in this instance, he's talking about rich people and poor people. And, and, and these people have, you know, they, they privilege themselves when they come to Lord's table. And these people don't have enough, but they're getting left out of the whole thing. And, and there's, 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 there's different strategies and there's different stratums of who's in, who's in and who's out and who gets what uh, at, in, in, their, in their church. And Paul says, this isn't a good scenario. This isn't good. You know, and when I first got here six years ago, one of the first things I was given was this. And this is half of them. <laughs> Keys to the church. And I went, what? Why do I need 40 keys? But I discovered that this is for this ministry closet and don't go in there. And this is for this ministry room and that's that person's stuff. And on and on it went. And I said, this is a metaphor for a divided church that isn't working together. That's doing all their ministry stuff in isolation. And we have a problem. Today, this is my church key. I get into every room in this building. We have to break down the silo mentality that this is my thing. It's us. We're created for community. Discipleship happens in community. Discipleship only happens when life is shared among us and not in competition for resources or spaces or time. So this has got to go. And right now we're kind of sick as a church. We're in recovery as a church and we need to take some steps to get rid of that and get to this. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all and through all and in all. And one focus. And that's what this table calls us to. Radical, deep humility. Because none of us deserves this table. None of us earns this table and we can't come to it alone. We have to come to it in community. Another thing I was told early on when I got here was there's probably more people from Gospel Chapel in our community than attend Gospel Chapel. And that caused my heart some ache. A lot of people have left over the years and maybe they're not even attached to a church anymore. I don't know who all of those would be, but I know a lot of you know people that have left. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Begin reaching out and listening to their stories. And I wanna amp this up one more. 
Don't go to those people who you are sad that have left. Go to the people who you were glad left. Those of you went, oh, thank goodness, that's over. <laughs> because we'll never heal if we just stay safe. For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, you know, you can only be betrayed in community. <laughs> a, a stranger can't betray me, but a friend can. Betrayal's personal. Betrayal's a, per, a, a community issue. Jesus could not be betrayed by anyone but somebody whom he walked with, lived with, did ministry with, You can only be betrayed by a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain, to quote Michael Card. The night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he gave thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment to himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died, but if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. For a lot of years, I think, you know, most of us have probably understood concerning the body and blood of the Lord and without discerning the body is to just be the literal body of Jesus Christ himself in person. But Paul throughout Corinthians uses this as a double entendre, and he also uses it to talk about the church. In fact, the next chapter is all about being the body as a church. So I think there's two things going on here. We need to discern the body, and the body today is what Paul talks about next. It's us. It is the community. The, the, the first part talked about the factions and the divisions among you. And then there's the instruction for the Lord's table. And then there's the instructions concerning, you know, examine yourself. And then eat the bread and drink the cup after you have discerned that you are part of this community. Devoted to one another in love as Jesus prayed for and commanded in John's gospel that we would be one, that there would be unity, that there would be love that sacrifices my agenda for the community. That I lay it down and I come and I say, Lord Jesus, show me where I'm just being selfish and self-driven in this and in this community and help me 
to repent of that and help me to live in community with my brothers and sisters here. The annoying thing about family is you always got the weird uncle, right? Or you have that sibling that you're estranged from. You have differences, personality, and that's all good because Paul talks about that in the next chapter. Spiritual gifts, and everybody's different. Everybody's been gifted differently. Learn to work together. That's what this is all about. We are created from community for community. The community of God is the, is, is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit radically enjoying one another in their glory for all of eternity and then creating us in their image. So we have value. We have a vocation because we are to be ruling and being priesthood over all of creation. And so, Lord, help us to live into that vocation as your people both in creation, care, and then in the community, the society in which you placed us in, that it may flourish. And then, Lord, help us as a village to be the family that you have called us to be. So, Lord Jesus, we come around your table this morning because we know that in and of ourselves, we cannot do this. In our own strength, we will fail badly and we will hurt ourselves and we will hurt people around us. And so we need to come to the foot of the cross and lay our burdens down, lay our pains down, lay our struggles down and ask you, Lord Jesus, to heal what has been broken, restore what is wounded, challenge us where we have taken on too much of this for ourselves, where we may have been, maybe we've just been too cowardly to actually confront sin in the camp and we've allowed things to fester. Lord, may we be one as you are one that the world may know that Lord Jesus, you were sent by the Father. So we come to this table this morning because we need your grace. We need your broken body given for us because our bodies can't, we cannot atone for our sin. We cannot create the community you desire. It is only at your cross that that's even possible. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to take the bread this morning. And we come, Lord, too, to partake of the cup, the blood of the covenant that creates a community through whom you will work. And so, Lord Jesus, bring us to the cross this morning so that we may be one as you are one. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I ask those who are serving to join me. I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Lord, thank you for your broken body given for us that we might be one in you. One body under Christ because of the cross. Nothing we can do to earn it. but surrendering our lives to you. Lord, teach us what complete surrender to you as our Lord means. Confront those areas in our lives that we have not turned over to you. Those things that we're hanging on to, that, that key that we haven't surrendered to you that unlocks the door of our heart 
where we have kept our pain and our anger and our frustration, our selfishness, our pride, our, our need to define who we are apart from you and your design, our individualism. Lord, we live in a culture that is pressing us to just be individuals, to define ourselves apart from a community, to look into our own hearts and find truth. And yet we know the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? And so, Lord, we thank you for the broken body because only in you can we be restored. And only in the community that you create can we live out the identity that you have created us for. In Jesus' name, amen. After the supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What a cost.
Lord, uh, this morning is difficult because we know that community is difficult. And Lord, we ask you because of your blood, because of who you are, to work. Lord, I know that there are many families that are fracturing right now. That there are families that have fractured. And that breaks your heart. I know there are siblings who are at odds with one another. And it's difficult. I know that there are blended families with different priorities that are trying to navigate how to do a memorial service well for a loved one. And community is difficult. Lord, we look around our world and community is fracturing left, right, and center. From family to church to city to province to nation. The people you created to live in community are at war with one another from coast to coast on every continent. Literally, politically, religiously, socially. There's just division everywhere, Lord. And we need the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the wonderful Counselor and our mighty God to bring unity to your people once again. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. May you create the new creation. May your heaven come to earth. May your rule and reign be evident in us today as your people. And Lord, do the work that you need to do in my heart to make that happen. Start with me. Start with our leaders, our elders, our leaders over teams, our ministry leaders. Lord, start with us that we would be a people of community that the world cannot understand because it's so desperately needed today. Work in us, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and convict your church of sin and guilt and righteousness, that we may be the people of God, the body of Christ, in this place and for this time. Do whatever you need to do to make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand for the benediction. Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, 
who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go with God in this week. He's created you to be community.